Good morning. Well, we made it through another summer. Of course, we live here on an island paradise, so it's going to feel like summer for another four months, right? Just a couple things before we get started. First of all, this morning is communion. We like to start every month with communion. And we use these. It's a chance for us to uh, obey Christ in terms of bread and wine. And if you didn't get one, there's still time to grab one from the back table. Maybe grab one for the person behind you who just gasped as well. And we'll close our service with communion. The other thing I wanted to point out is a reminder again, Freedom Session is coming up. And we've added something a little not different, but we've added something to it this year, and that is we're looking people for people to pray for us. So we're creating this uh, Freedom Session Prayer Squad. Freedom Session is a chance for people to understand grace and forgiveness on a whole new level. To understand the significance of Christ and his crucifixion in our daily lives and in our memories and in our emotions. It's a Bible-based 12-step program, and God has used it to work miracles in people's lives. So we're asking any of you who want to, to join us. And it's just a little prayer card. We got them at the back table. You can stick it on your fridge or on your dashboard. Uh, just some key prayer things uh, that the word of God would sink grossly into people's lives. And there's three or four things we're asking people to pray for. And there's an email address at the bottom. If you write to us at that address, we'll send you occasional updates. Now. I do have to point out that there's confidentiality. It's people are going through some hard stuff and they're being open with their group, but we don't want that stuff published anywhere. So we're not gonna tell you who's actually taking Freedom Session. And if you know of someone who's in Freedom Session, pray for them by name, but don't tell everybody else why they're there. But we do ask you to pray for Freedom Session. We're gonna be meeting every Monday and people will, they just get to know God better and they get to let go of pain and patterns and addictions and the things that hold us back from experiencing the joy of the Lord. So if you'd pray for us this season, we would really appreciate that. And this morning, we are gonna wrap up our Psalms for the Summer series. Steve, Laura, and I, we've loved being able to dig into the Psalms and, and, and share with us the reasons for celebrating God. And we get to end this summer with one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 100. It's not a long one. Steve already read it to us. But we're gonna unpack it a bit and see where it can take us. So before we do that, let's pray once again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word stands true and that your spirit is here to teach us. So we commit ourselves to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes when we've looked at Psalms, we have looked at the context and the background and the person who wrote it. We know that David wrote a lot, but he didn't write them all. And when we look at the context, we can understand the Psalm better. And so it's really important to note that for Psalm 100, we know nothing. It's just there. There's no hints about who wrote it or what they were going through at the time. But in a sense, that's a good thing for this one because all we can study is the words. We can't guess what they mean because of who wrote it or what they were. It's just the words. What do these words actually say? And I want to challenge you with the idea that this is one of the most important psalms for praise. 
that this psalm is ready to be your psalm. Because really it tells us all that we need to know and it tells us all that we need to do, but it doesn't give any details. The details come from you. The details come from your walk with God, your experience, your culture. It's, it's, it's that kind of, it's a skeleton, really. It's perfect, strong bones, but you get to hang the flesh on it. So let's start going through it. The title, we call it Psalm 100, but we know that when people wrote the Bible, they didn't include the numbers. You know, Paul didn't sit down, chapter one, verse one. Hey, Galatians, verse two. The numbers were added later, so we call this Psalm 100. The person who wrote it simply called it a psalm for giving thanks. A psalm for giving thanks. And we're gonna break it into four chunks. It's five verses, it's pretty short. But really, there's an invitation and then there's a reason, and then another invitation and another reason. So look at the first chunk. We're gonna look at the first chunk together. Invitation number one. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Why? Well, here's reason number one. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's reason number one. Invitation number two. Let's go a little bit farther. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? Reason number two. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Psalm 100. Short, sweet, powerful. All we need to know, all we need to do, but none of the details. We come up with the details. Learning is a funny thing. I was a classroom teacher for 21 years. So I was really in school most of my life, either as a student or a teacher. So every day I had to think about learning and teaching, learning and teaching. How do we learn stuff? One of the best teachers that I ever met, ever knew, was Ken Falk, who was dedicated to the Christian school there for many, many years. And he had a way of teaching that broke the mold a bit. See, at teacher school, we're told when there's a new concept, you explain the new concept, then you demonstrate the new concept, then you get the students to participate doing the work, and then you get, assess their ability to grasp the new concept, in other words, quiz time, right? Explain, demonstrate, get them to do it, and then test them. That's not what Ken Falk did. This is how he explained doing math, and I love this. And he, he taught grade two, grade three, you know, he, you know he, so he was working with kids that don't know they're learning yet. That's extra fun. He said to teach a new concept in math, he would wait to the end of the class. And he would explain, and he would demonstrate, and then close the book and go home. 
Because what he had figured out in all those years of working with little humans was that our brains do a lot of stuff when we don't know they're doing it. And what he realized was by teaching this new concept, just getting them to understand it, sending them home, when they come back 24 hours later and you put it on the board again, they go, oh yeah, that's kind of familiar. Huh, I wonder if I could do that. Yeah, because that's how we learn. We learn by things building up over time and our brain processing it while we're thinking about something else. You're thinking about what you want for lunch? Your brain's thinking about driving here this morning and that little mistake that other person made. You know, your brain's just thinking about stuff all the time. In fact, they call it neural pathways. Your brain's a bunch of neurons that get excited about stuff, and then they do this hands-around-the-world thing. When an idea excites them, they, they form a line, they, they connect with each other, and, and they form this pathway for this idea to keep going. And the more you think about that idea, the stronger that pathway gets. And the more neurons grab on and say, we're in on this. And you, your brain is just full of it. That didn't come out right. Your brain is full of ideas <laughs> about this new thought, this new pathway. And it's good. Your brain is thinking about stuff you don't even know you're thinking about. So be careful what you put into the brain. They'll take it all. You don't want the neurons getting excited about stuff you don't want them to think about. But the problem, the dark side, is that the neurons are also like Lego blocks. Now, I was the younger brother. <laughs> that was so much fun. But I'll tell you the story from the perspective of an older brother. Imagine you're there building Lego. And you started the day thinking, I need a train track. And so you build a Lego, and then you start putting the train engine together. But partway through, you realize that's not a train engine. It's a rocket ship. And now you're building spaceports. And, and then your little brother comes along, and he starts taking apart the railway track. Mom! He's ruining it. Mom comes along, finds what's happening. And finally, she says, you're not using the railroad track anymore. Let him build something else, and you keep building your spaceship. Those neurons that are holding on to each other, if you don't exercise them, they get lazy and bored. And they look for new stuff to hang on to, new neural pathways, new worries, new hope, new goals. And the part of your brain that's active looks at that Part and says, yeah, we're going we're gonna to take some of those pieces off the, the railroad track because we're going to build a really great rocket. And the part of your brain that was so excited a month, a year, a decade ago, it's gone quiet. And half the pieces aren't even there anymore. You forgot. I'm going to illustrate that with a TV show that was on a while ago called Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? It was a quiz show kids in grade five and adults. And we think, okay, we're adults. We know everything because it just keeps growing and growing. No, it doesn't. You know, we chuck stuff out all the time. I'm not gonna think about that anymore. I'm not gonna think about that anymore. So here are these adults who, when they were in grade five, knew all this stuff, but now they don't. And these kids in grade five look like geniuses because they know everything about grade five. 
my middle son, Joe, was a, a good rememberer and a good teacher. And I, I just remember this funny, you know, light bulb moment from when he was growing up. And I said something about lightning. And Joey in grade three said, was it chain lightning? I, I don't know. I don't even know if I ever knew. Maybe grade three in my day, they didn't talk about chain lightning. Maybe we hadn't invented chains. I don't know. But he knew everything about chain lightning. Give him a call now. <laughs> he won't remember. Because we forget those neural pathways crumble and the bits and pieces, the neurons get tacked onto other pathways and we're building bigger rocket ships and forgetting about train tracks. So what do we need to do? We need to remember consciously and deliberately. And Psalm 100 gives us the basic stuff, the basic recipe to still remember to not forget. So that when you're sitting there with a kid who comes out of rooted kids, and they say, you know what we learned today? And you say, no, tell me. And they start explaining a verse from scripture. You'll remember. Because it's still happening up there. You're still thinking about it. You're still remembering. You're choosing to remember. So Psalm 100 is great for helping us remember what to remember. But let's unpack the words a little bit. Because again, it's just, it's just meant to be so simple. Even a fifth grader could do it. We'll look at the first invitation. Invitation number one, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, Say, serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. You know what the first word actually is if you go back and look at it? It's shout. Shout, shout, let it all out. Shouting is just this whole physical expression. And that's the first word in the song. We translate it as make a joyful noise because, yeah, we know there's supposed to be joy. We know it's about worship. But the psalm writer, I wonder what he was thinking. He just wrote, shout. You know how to shout. Remember the last time the Canucks won the Stanley Cup? I'm sorry, that wasn't fair. <laughs> Do you remember the last time the Storm won the league championship for the island? And, and you got a lot of opportunities to remember the Storm has won it more than any other team on the island. And every time they win, we get excited. Now, we know we kind of expect them to. But every time they do, we're still as excited as the first time because now it's new people doing it, new players, new coaches. And we're just kind of used to winning. And we shout. What, that's one of the reasons we love sports is because we get to just go crazy. Some sports, not golf. You know? But hockey, you can go crazy. I just want to challenge you that if you know how to express those emotions about hockey, when you're expressing your emotions about God, don't be afraid and don't be cheap. You come in there, yeah, hockey, West Stanley Cup, oh, Campbell River Storm. Holy, holy, holy. What's wrong with this picture? I, I know, we don't, we don't want to do things that offend people. We, but, but God says, shout about it. Let your body, your whole body express what you know about God. Because you feel better when you do. 
You feel better after you cry. You feel better after you shout. Your body needs to express. When you worship God, let your body join you and shout to the Lord, all the land. Serve the Lord with gladness. And I don't know how you serve the Lord. Maybe you clean toilets at the homeless shelter, you feed people, you, you find lonely people and befriend them. I don't know how you serve the Lord. I hope you do it the same way Jesus served his father because that's, that's serving the Lord. But don't just do it out of pity or duty. Do it for fun. Do it for joy. You get to see God being expressed into people's lives. That's a good thing. Choose to be joyful. Remember, Paul told us, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Being joyful is a choice. It doesn't necessarily mean you're really happy. It just means you've got God's perspective. You have confidence in God, and you know what God's doing, and, and you just want to be a part of what God's doing. So be joyful. And if you're not the kind of person who is joyful much, fake it. Fake it till you make it. Get involved in the joy of the Lord by choice and see where it takes you. Serve the Lord with joy. Come into his presence with singing. Oh, yeah. Did you know that I didn't bring up my water bottle? Did I leave it there? Oh, Music is the only thing that uses all of your brain at once. It's true. I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> but knowing that some of you don't take that as authoritative, I also did some research. And there was a study by Harvard University. And they said that music stimulates everything. It begins by the auditory nerves, the part of the brain that's supposed to make sense of noise. But then it goes to other things. It, it activates memories. You ever driving down the road, listen to a song, and it takes you back to the summer of 1993? <laughs> that was a good summer. Because it, it, it's attached to all those memories. You listen to that song, you, it takes you back. And it's, it's spatial. Music is spatial. It's not just... Da -da -da -da. So it awakens other parts of your brain that might have been napping. And it excites the part of your brain that's connected to your muscles. That's right. You start feeling the music. And it's different ways for different music. It might make you clap. It might make you tap your feet. Chances are, if you're listening to a Beethoven symphony, you're not going to. But your body is going to be involved as that piece of music takes you through an emotional landscape, your breathing will change, your muscles will tense and relax your face. If you're really into the music, your whole body's there with you. So sing to the Lord. Get those neural pathways excited again. It might mean singing or listening to songs you knew when you were a kid, you went to camp. It might mean the song we sang in church this Sunday that was just so great, it might mean looking for a new song. And we've talked about that. 
but we get swept up with music. The stars sing, the angels sing, and we just need to join them. And there's different kind of music for different moods. What is God leading you through? Maybe what you're going through with God, you should be listening to a solo cello playing old hymns. Or maybe some four-part harmony. Maybe a mass choir. Maybe some of that stuff the kids are listening to. You know, planet shakers where you feel like jumping off the wall and yelling hallelujah. It's all out there for us. God, the master musician, has provided it for us, and we need to take part. We need to come into his presence with singing because it means we're totally there. We're totally there. Our entire thought and our entire body has joined us. Let's look at reason number one then. Why do we want to do that stuff? Number one, know that the Lord, he is God. And you may notice that the word Lord in this psalm is spelled with capital letters. And that simply means it's referring to God's name, that precious name that he gave that people are not supposed to throw around so casually. We mostly translate it as Jehovah, but that's not his name. Because J and V are Latin sounds. They're not Hebrew sounds. And the Jewish people didn't learn Latin before they praised God. So we can tell you his name is not Jehovah, but it's sort of like that. And I know some people argue about how to really pronounce it. I always go by one very simple rule. I pronounce it the way Jesus did. And the apostles. Because nowhere in the New Testament does anyone try to say it. There's no example of trying to use Greek letters to write out that Hebrew. Nobody says it in the New Testament. They're waiting for when they can say it with perfection and beauty. So I go by that. But we just say the Lord most of the time in capital letters. That's his name. Not this, the word Lord for master, boss. No, this is the word for his name. Know that he is God. Now, there have been lots of times in human history when that was just sort of taken for granted. Now, most people question that. Is there any God, regardless of what his name is? Yes, there is. The Lord is God. Let's carry on. He made us, and we are his. That's what it says. So if you want to argue, you argue with him, not me. <laughs> You know what happens when we forget that we are created? We go crazy. Romans 1 talks about it. Other passages talks about how bad we can be when we think we are the ultimate. We need to know that there is a God. And that he made us. Duh. I, I get really frustrated with people who try to convince me about evolution. I love science, and, and, and some evolutionary scientists have made amazing discoveries, but to connect all those dots, to say that there's no God and we came out by accident, I spent the last two weeks driving through Alberta, visiting my eight grandchildren. When they sit on me, you can't tell me they're a mistake. But that's an emotional thing, right? Scientifically, okay, well, let's look at this. What if a scientist was traveling through the desert and he pulled back the vines, and there was a 747. What conclusions is he going to come to? He's going to think, there were humans here. 
Why? Because that doesn't happen by accident. All those little bits and pieces don't just show, and now you got a 747. And yet the human cell is far more complex and busy and requires such structure and, and, and interworking to carry on. That's amazing. And it can heal itself and it can reproduce. You ever seen a 747 heal itself? You're coming into Vancouver, we're having technical troubles, folks. They land it and they send it to the, you know, to the hangar, give it orange juice and ice cream, wait till it gets better. No, it can't heal itself, but you can heal yourself. Your cells can do that. So when you look at a human cell, we come to the conclusion, what a mistake. No, what a gift. It had to be put together by somebody who knew what he was doing. And it works. Now, I can understand why some people hate that idea because they want to be superior. But the second part is so important. We're his. We, we belong to somebody. We have a reason and a purpose that we don't have to create on our own. We just get to participate in the things our creator designed for us to do. We're his. Anybody have a problem with that? Go talk to my boss. Take it up with my creator. This is what he made me be. And I'm his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This idea of sheep keeps coming up in scripture and it's wonderful because sheep are so dumb. And a good shepherd just loves them anyway. Make sure they have what they need. Take away the stuff that's gonna hurt them. And the sheep aren't even aware of it most of the time. They just have trust. They just have trust that 24-7, someone is taking care of them. Okay, invitation number two. We go a little deeper. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, for you and I, probably not a lot of experience there. So let's go back a little bit. Entering the gates of a city could be scary. I, I, I love that I've been able to travel a bit, and I always love going to old forts because of what happened there, the history. And you go to some of these forts, and the gates are scary. They're, you know, there's places up top where people can hide and drop rocks on your head or boiling oil. Sometimes the gate is, really leads to a tunnel. If you want to get into the city or, or, or the castle, you've got to go down this hundred yards of people throwing stuff at you and trying to kill you. Gates are awesome things. But the gate of God, what do we do? Well, we enter with thanksgiving. La, da, 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 da. We're not afraid. We're not fearful. We're not questioning what might be inside. No, we know who's inside. We knew him before we knew he had this castle. And we're going to enter his gate with thanksgiving. How do you enter the court of a king? In most human history, entering the court of a king was not a good thing. You could die like that. It, it, it was awesome and terrifying to be called into the presence of the king. But you know what? We can enter his courts with praise. No fear. Is he a judging 
God a judging king? Yes, he is. And his son took all that judgment. His son went to a cross for us and died for us and rose again for us. And we can enter his court knowing that any speeding ticket or murder charge that might be attributed to us, the judge will look down and say, how do you plead? And I'll say, I plead the blood of your son. <laughs> and the father will look at his son who still looks like a lamb that was slain. And he'll say, that's enough for me. Can't do any more than that. You can't give me anything more than my own son's life. And we enter simply with grace, no fear. The fines have been paid. The taxes are covered. Jesus is our all and all. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Sometimes we want to make people happy. Choose to make God happy sometimes. It's a good thing. And he deserves it. Here's reason number two. The Lord is good. Ain't that a relief? Now, we kind of assume that, but again, let's back up a couple thousand years where most gods were really kind of mean. And, and most religion was just a matter of appeasing the gods and keeping them from killing us somehow. Oh, our God is good. He's a, he's a good God. His steadfast love endures forever. His character doesn't change. The, the passion that he felt when he saw his son die on the cross is the same passion he feels for you every day of your life. The sorrow that he felt when his son died is the sorrow that he feels for you when sin has you captive. He just doesn't change. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness, his faithfulness to all generations. Your grandparents and your grandchildren. Every generation, every group. People in the Middle Ages, Amazon hunters, Egyptians who knew Pharaoh. I mean, every generation, wherever they are, whoever they are, they're God's. And he is faithful. He is faithful. So that's why I think this is the perfect psalm of praise. It tells us all that we need to know. This is who God is. This is who you are. This is the situation. It tells us all that we need to do. We need to shout and express. We need to get music involved. We need to let our body praise God. That's all we need to do. But then it leaves you with the details. Because maybe you were brought up to fear God and you need to understand his forgiveness. Maybe you have taken God so much for granted in the last 20 years of your life, you need to understand his holiness and his power. And you need to fear him. You need to learn to fear him. And we're all sort of in different places, but Psalm 100 applies to us all. So we get to claim it. All that we need to do, yeah. With music, what kind of music? It's up to you. What music works for you? What music, when attached to scripture, will lift you up? or calm you down, or make you laugh, or make you cry, or make you think. 
The details are up to you and me. This is our psalm. It's a great skeleton. So it's left to our imagination. How can we do these things? How are we going to experience these aspects of God in our time, in our experience, in our culture? So let's just break it down. This is, this is what Psalm 100 gives us. Be loud. Don't be loud about other things and, 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 and then try to not be loud about God. That's a problem. You could almost call it idolatry. If we put more oomph into sports than we do into salvation, <laughs> be joyful. Choose. Do it on purpose. It's a command. Fake it till you make it. You'll get there, but don't just say, oh, I don't feel like it today. And enter God's presence. Be present. It's not that God is way up there somewhere keeping an eye on you through a telescope. You are in God's presence. His gate and his courts are where you work Monday to Friday. The gym that you go to to exercise or play squash, you're in his presence. Be present. Know that he is there. And know it with joy. And don't forget that he made you. And that's a good thing. That you're his. And that he cares for you like a shepherd. And most of all, he's good. He's good. Don't forget his endless, steadfast love. It's hard for us to understand eternity. Because we're born in time and we're constantly changing that tells us time is passing, but God is outside of time. That's why the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, says that the Lamb of God was slain before the creation of the world. Because it's, sure, before, after, it doesn't matter in God's time. God's timeless. The Son of God is always slain. And there's never going to be a moment in your life when Jesus stops being slain and resurrected. That's just a consistent moment. His steadfast love is endless. It's not like waves on the ocean. It's just a solid beam of steel. And it will always be, there will never be a day when the crucified Christ doesn't apply to you. There will never be a day when the blood of Jesus is irrelevant for you. It's endless. His steadfast love and his justice. I threw the word injustice there. I was trying to just come up with the last thing. It talks about, you know, faithfulness to all generations, but really that's just God's justice. When we talk about God's justice, it's not the way we usually talk about it. We usually think of justice as punishment. You're gonna get your just reward. You know, he deserved that. God never talks about it that way. Justice in God's mind is restoration, is healing. It's reaching out to the sick. It's bringing people what God wants them to have, full lives with joy. That's justice in God's mind. He'll take care of punishment. Vengeance is his. Don't worry about it. We don't have to do that. But we are to bring justice, to restore people, to lift people up to their creator. So I threw in justice there in the terms of, you know, to all generations because that's what it is. You and I, I mean, I, I love what we know about God and how we sing about God. But we've got to admit, it's different than people in the Middle Ages or people in the Amazon. Those generations. But we, we can never think that God likes us more because of the way we live. No. God's just. If we accept his love and love him, that's it. 
People in the Middle Ages, well, yeah, there's, I'm glad there's things that I know that they didn't, but you know what? They often had a better understanding of the depth of sin than I do. They, they took sin a lot more seriously than I do. What about people running around the Amazon half naked with porcupine quills through their nose? Are we better Christians than them? No. <laughs> they love Jesus. And it doesn't matter what books are on our shelves or we just need to love Jesus and, and we'll be the same as them. Because God is the same with every generation. And one of the things we have to get over is the fact that somehow we're supposed to be better than other Christians. Whenever you feel that way, just, just find the joy of being on your knees at the foot of the cross again. Jesus did it all. We can't add to that. We can't add to that by having right doctrines and good music. We, we can't add to that. We're all right there of the cross. God is just. He lifts us all up, and we all need him too. His steadfast love endures forever. I'll ask the worship team to come back up as we prepare for communion, and following that, the prayer teams will be available, and they love to pray with you or for you about anything. They love justice. They lift you up to God no matter where you are. There'll be teams at the front, team in the back corner if you want to sit in a pew. They'll pray for you. They'll pray with you. They'll listen as you pray, whatever you need. But it's because the steadfast love never changes. It's because Jesus is as passionate about his death for you today as he was 2,000 years ago, and he will be next Wednesday. But here's the trick. His Steadfast love doesn't change, but we can forget it. We can let those neural pathways crumble and let those Lego blocks build to other things that are more important, our car and our house and our mortgage. And we can let the part of the brain that was once excited about God fall asleep. And so we need Psalm 100 to wake us up Remember what he's done. Remember who he is. Remember that every day the lamb is slain for you. That you are the reason God created the universe so that you could know his love when his son came to be your sacrifice lamb. So we start a new month. We're finishing up our psalm series next week, kickoff Sunday, so much stuff about what, what you can be doing, things that you can be involved in, but also starting a new series. You've already seen it on the, on the doors out there, the teachings of the parables of Jesus. So a new series. And we wrap up, in one sense, this week is a, the end of our summer, but it's also the beginning of moving on and the joy of the Lord, the love of the Lord that is new every day. Now, if you have trouble opening these like I do, there's a little cellophane top that will let you get the cracker and keep the juice sealed up. So open up that top with me. Check out this cracker that was once a living plant that got ground up and exposed to fire to become bread. The living Christ was crucified, mocked, and tortured, planted in the ground like a seed 
And like one seed that is planted, he rose again to bring all of us with him. So we celebrate his broken body by remembering his love, by keeping that neural pathway going and remembering that Jesus loves me. This I know. Don't forget it. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, for his broken body. He told us to do this, to remember. So we remember with thanksgiving and we enter your courts with praise this morning. And we thank you for the bread. Amen. Let's all take it together. Now the trickier part that I often need help with because these are childproof with opens up this liquid that was once grapes and they were picked and they were crushed. In some cases they were fermented, left to rot and transform. Just as Christ's transformation makes heaven available to us. And his blood that we need and access every day, we do this. Keep that neural pathway going. Don't let your brain forget your dependence on the sacrifice of Jesus. And he told us to do this. Share it among you and remember. Father, we thank you for the blood of your son that washes us clean and gives us hope and symbolizes everything that we are to you. Let's take the juice together. Father, we do thank you once again this morning. We pray for this upcoming season, new staff, new friends, new people getting baptized, new programs. We just lay it all at your feet. We want to disciple your people and lead your people, but we need your strength. Remind us of that. Thank you for your blessing on us as your people. In Jesus' name.